Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is episode number 321 with Chase Jarvis. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome everyone back to the School of Greatness podcast. I'm so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time, make sure to check out the rest of our episodes as well by subscribing to the podcast over on iTunes. And if you are a regular listener, thank you so much for checking out this episode and make sure to share the love at lewishouse.com slash 321 to get the message out about this interview. I've got my good buddy on, Chase Jarvis, and Chase is well-known as a visionary photographer, director, and fine artist. And as a photographic master, Chase has won numerous awards. He's been called one of the top 30 most influential photographers of the past decade. He is a widely sought-after presenter and has been a keynote speaker at Fortune 500 companies, top universities, TEDx conferences, and much more. He's also an extremely successful entrepreneur having recently started one of the world's fastest-growing online education companies, CreativeLive.com. I'm super pumped to introduce you guys to him, and here are some of the main things that we're going to be talking about and covering in this interview. First off, we talk about some of the insecurities that Chase has had his entire life and how they actually helped cultivate creativity for him. Then we talk about how to overcome a creative block and the things you can do to move forward when you feel like you're in that creative block space. Next, Chase talks about the importance of taking care of your health if you want to be a successful creative. Then we cover the three things that are hugely important to make great art and how to get into the zone to create awesome work consistently. All this and so much more on episode number 321 with the one and only Chase Jarvis. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the School of Greatness podcast. I'm here with my man, Chase Jarvis. Good to see you, man. Ah, super happy to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm pumped to be here. We're in your studio. This is a different setup. We're in L.A., downtown. Yep. You're filming for something right now called 30 Day Genius. 30, 30, 30 Days of Genius. Yeah, it's a series of videos on Creative Live. We've got to make sure this comes out at the right time because I haven't even announced the stuff yet. So okay. This is like, well, what's the link going to be, just so we're aware? Uh, CreativeLive.com slash 30 days of genius, the number three zero days of genius. Okay, cool. We'll time it up and. Yeah, yeah, for sure. sure it's, it's like, like, you go there and you click a button and then you get yes. a, a, a badass interview every day for 30 days from Very game changing. Cool. Awesome. Creative awesome. We just did one, which, uh, was fun. So thanks for having me. Hey, are you, me on. you're, you're in the, in the club, man. It's I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's a tight club. Now, uh, I'm curious for those that don't know who you are. I've just told them a bio about you just before this, but for those, um, that don't know who you are and your backstory. I'm curious, who is the most influential person of your childhood? And what was the biggest lesson they taught you? The most influential person from my childhood. Wow. I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to cop out and say I got two people and it's my parents. I'm an only uh -huh. child. Okay. And uh, I think for a lot of people that means uh, spoiled, mm -hmm. but entitled. Were, yeah, entitled, spoiled. Uh, I can pretty much demonstrably say that wasn't the case for me. Right. I mean, I had, uh, I had upside down Nikes. I had Adidas, <laughs> Adidas with four stripes. Right, I right. came from, um, humble middle, middle class up, upbringing. But my parents were, were of the type of people who were very, very supportive. Mm. And in particular, they encouraged me to do, to pursue what I wanted to pursue. That's not without a bunch of social pressure. Um, I, I feel like that social pressure was, less about family and more about culturally for me. I was, we can talk about that a little bit later, but my parents played a huge impact in helping me create the life that I wanted. Uh, and I think they, 
they there's a lot of heat like a, they they unintentionally put heat on me to to pursue those dreams mm-hmm. i'm super grateful for that heat yeah. now looking back so it was a very small you know i have no cousins i have no brothers and sisters uh, wow. i'm an only child and so there's nobody to carry on the driver's name after me and it, so that's why they were so influential because they're very small like a, a, little, a little baby wolf pack oh, right, right right i like it well and who was uh who would you say is more influential wow um who was more influential and then which one taught you the most important lesson I think that they, they have taken turns at different times. I think when I was younger, so my dad was a cop, uh-huh. um, and my mom worked uh, in admin at a biotech company. Um, my mom stayed home a lot when I was younger, and so she was very, very impactful for me. She's uh, a neat freak. She's very, um, I'd say, organized, and she's very much a doer. Right. And so early in my, in my career, early in my life as a youngin, uh, that she was very, very influential. And then, um, a little bit later when I think, and this is also probably biological as well. Mm. Um, I started, uh, connecting more with my father because he was working basically, you know, he was building houses for us to live in during the day. And then he would work the night shift from literally, uh, gosh, I think 11 till, 11 at not two in the morning mm. until 11. So he right. was basically gone. Um, I maybe, or actually earlier, I, I think I got that screwed up. So he was gone during a lot of my childhood working, right. um, as a cop. And then when I started, you know, graduating or getting further along in school and sports started to become a real big thing, my dad was always there uh, at the, at the sp- game. Yeah, at the yeah. game, you know, being very supportive. My mom was as well, but I think there's some correlation to biology yeah. as well. What would you say is the the biggest lesson then? Wow. Uh, I think the lesson from my... From like 5 to 18. Was there a big lesson that stands out? Um, I think think there is a certain um, stubbornness. uh, And, you know, that cuts both ways. I I like double-edged swords. Yeah. Um, But I think the lack of or a desire for greatness, a desire to achieve. Um, I, I've, I've come to find out later in life that that's also a little bit of a crutch. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's sort of a substitute for intimacy and a substitute for connection. Right. Um, if you are just trying, we were talking about this at dinner last night with some of the crew who's sitting here in the room. If you are so great that if you get first place, it's really hard to argue with that person's ability or qualities or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a defense mechanism. But the, the, the good side of that double-edged sword is I think my parents instilled that into me, which is, you right. know, success is often directly proportional, proportional to hard work. And I, I, I always put in the work. What did you think was the biggest fear for you growing up? Did you have a big fears? I think the biggest fear for me, and uh, like just total transparency, we're going to, we're, we're going there in this interview. I can tell already, <laughs> but, um, was, it was a specific question. It was What's the a, biggest fear. The biggest fear. Uh, I think, um, obscurity. Just mm. like not being present in the conversation, whether that conversation is about greatness or just like being, being nothing. Not being, being in the conversation. Yeah. Being, being nothing, being vanilla, being, um, being obscure. Mm. Was that in like the teen years or was that in college or? Uh, I think that was a pretty, that was a, a theme. You know, I'm an extroverted person, generally speaking, although I feel like I'm getting inside of, in yeah. touch with my introverted self yeah. in this sort of second arc of my life. But early, it was very much about um, achievement, greatness, being successful. And again, you know, you have a, the, the book and the podcast, The School yeah. of Greatness, uh, being great and lifting others up around you. And it's a, it's a very complex thing, being great, being a great leader, being a great, just being a great doer isn't the whole picture ultimately. Yeah, yeah of course. And uh, so I think there was a fear about, the, the fear around being obscure and not being noticed or relevant um, and then dramatically overcompensating mm-hmm. by, you know, being the captain of a football team, the captain of the soccer team right. and hanging out with the skate punks and... Right, right, right you know, getting academic scholarship and getting athletic scholarship and how can you try and be great at everything so that you can silence all the haters. And ultimately like that's a, that's kind of a not so awesome existence trend, not achieve for the sake of achievement or, or sort of self-fulfillment or actualization, but achieve to shut up people who might criticize you. It's a different, it's the same result of greatness, but I I believe deeply in the mentality of how you got somewhere. Mm. 
you know, I, I had a lot of insecurities when I was in middle school, high school, even before then. I feel like I was very insecure and unsure of myself. Uh, what were your biggest insecurities? Mm. One of the things that I have learned about myself is that I'm rarely aware of insecurities in the moment. I'm just living that, that sort of fear cycle or that uh -huh. conversation that goes on inside you. And then I'm only able to identify them by looking backwards. I think that's a saying. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. So, uh, as I try and connect the dots looking backwards, I think I was very insecure as a very young person. I wore glasses and Did you yeah, need them? Uh, I needed them uh -huh. because my, one of my, my right eye was developing much faster than my left eye. Yep. Doc says this is a problem. So in first grade, uh, I think at the end of first grade, I got glasses big. Like foghorn leghorn glasses, like, you know, it's it, it, like the cartoons would be fantastic if someone mm. could see these pictures and draw them. Um, so big, like tortoiseshell, thick glasses uh, from second to, I think, fifth grade, second or fifth or sixth. And I remember like, oh, wow. You know, I had a little line of defense mechanisms, like someone would say, hey, four eyes. I would right. say, well, four eyes is better than two. I mean, just like little childish right. thing, but I could tell looking backwards that that had an impact on me. And I was really uh, attuned to it when in either fifth or early, I think fifth grade, I got them off and all of a sudden the, the girls came back into my life as, mm. as a fifth grader. Right, <laughs> but right. I just like, I just, it, 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 um, I was very aware of that. Mm. But, uh, so that would be one thing that I was very insecure about was my, mm. um, my big ass glasses. And I was, a jock. I was a, a high performer, right. even as a little tyke. I didn't know that I was good, but I would score more goals than anybody else. And it was weird to have big ass glasses, sure, sure. <laughs> big ass glasses, and be playing basketball. You're right. You had to wear them playing. Yeah, yeah. Contacts then. Yeah, right. it was, yeah. It was. I don't know. If, I think it was probably literally before contacts right, or right. thing. But yeah. So those are those are some key key very young developmental uh, sure. insecurities that I really didn't wasn't aware of at the time. Right. But. Do you have any insecurities right now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. What are um, well, what's, first of all, first, the biggest, first thing that comes to your mind. First thing that's come to mind is, uh, how to, uh, uh how to sound like I've, I'm a professional speaker, basically. So how do you come off as authentic mm. and, and have answers not be polished in podcasts like this. Right, right. Like my goal is uh, connection. I've tried to connect with people through my art for my whole entire um, artistic career. I've built a platform called Creative Live, whose sole goal is trying to connect people with their dreams and career, right. hobby, and life. We have millions of students all over the world. Um, I I think I'm really good at connecting with sure. you, but I also don't want to come off as too heavy. My background is in philosophy. I went to school. I was in a PhD program in philosophy, so I can talk a lot and, uh, like, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in my head a lot. Mm, okay. So, and, and how do, how do I sort of deliver value to your listeners? Um, that's in the moment. So that's, that's the moment. current insecurity is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you gotcha, said gotcha. current, I'm trying yeah, to think yeah. like right yeah, now, yeah. like I sure. want to add I mean, as, in your life in general. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right now, like I want to add as much value as possible in the yeah, next, yeah. in the next 45 minutes to your right, audience. Right. Um, personally right now, uh, like larger life, in life, life scopes. Yes. Uh, Do you have any securities in your life right now? Uh, yeah, it's, um, I think I stopped, um, let me rephrase that about 18 months ago or 24 months ago now, uh, or five years ago, I founded a company called Creative Live yeah. and built it up very, very quickly, very successful. How many employees do you guys have now? About 120 employees. Yeah. Um, and then about. A year, 18 months in, I hired a CEO, a guy named Mika Salome, came in, did a great job. He was the former president of Viacom, billion dollar business. He'd had a $200 million exit before then. He came in and I learned a lot from Mika. But about 24 months ago, came time to raise a Series B. So I got really involved in the company again. And, uh, and it became clear that I needed to come back and, and be the CEO of the company. So mm. I moved Mika to the board very amicably. And I had always been a, uh, a leader, a natural leader. I was the captain of every team I've ever played on. Um, and when, uh, there was a, an employee that shortly after I came on, he'd been frustrated for a little while. He was on the product team and he left the company. He's like, okay, I just want to let you know, I'm giving my notice right. and move on and do something different. And I was like, I asked him for a piece of feedback. What's a, what's a piece of feedback? And for you. he, yeah, for me personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's something that I'm, I'm, 
I try and be really open and, right, and right. accessible. And, uh, and the feedback is he said, you've made a career out of leading people who are naturally prone to follow you because of what you've achieved. And in this new role as a CEO, you're leading other leaders and those are different. Wow. And Interesting. that was like a, a gong right, right yeah, on my right. forehead. That was like a, wow. Uh, and, and it's a very different sort of role to mm. be in. And I still consider, you know, my work as a photographer and a director still, you know, very alive and well, but my primary focus is very clearly on creative live and taking that yeah. to, to the next level. And, so the ability or the requirement to step in and lead, as again, there's a natural skill set there for me, but to lead in a different way, lead mm. other leaders. As opposed to followers. Yeah, yeah. I think fans, sure. are, yeah, fans yeah. are followers. Yeah, fans are followers. And boy, it's a, it's a phenomenal challenge. And I think it's, it's my biggest challenge. And mm. it's something that I love. I'm putting a ton of energy into that. Um, that's what's taking up my time outside of all the day-to-day decisions of of, you know, running a hundred person, right. you know, venture backed company. So what have you learned about yourself since that feedback? You know, what have you applied or tried that you learned something new about yourself? That I'm capable of it. Yeah. And I see, I see glimpses of it, but I don't yet have it mastered. Right. And it's, it's welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so fun. You know, I go back to the earlier thing, confession about like a desire for mastery as yeah. a life. Yeah. Like in everything, like you just are the, if you're just crushing everything and you work super, super hard, right. um, then you can silence all the haters. And so for me, going to town and, and doing the work to be a different kind of leader than I've been before at this, you know, at this point in my career is just a phenomenal challenge. Mm. Uh, I think I, I honest, honest, like total transparency. I think I was resisting it early on. Yeah, sure. And just the opportunity to be open to new things. I think ultimately it's not ironic that one of my a biggest skills, but b biggest passions is lifelong learning. Yep. It's not a surprise that I created a company yeah. around lifelong learning. Sure. Sure. So this has been my biggest challenge. Wow. Okay. Um, I love it. Um, let's step back one step and talk about insecurity, not with you, <laughs> but I'm, this is just coming up from where as we were talking about this, cause you are known for creativity. You're extremely talented artist, photographer, world class. A lot of people know about your work. How does, insecurity cultivate creativity love this question and mm. hold artists back from being successful at the same time because I, I as i'm thinking about it right now yeah. insecurity actually drives a lot of yeah people to being super creative whether it be a musician or an artist or a photographer but also i can see it holding them back so mm, no i love the question um let me think for just a second um so and do you need insecurity to be a great artist? I'll start with that one because that's easy. <laughs> First of all, the things that made you weird as a kid, those perspectives that you were afraid of, uh-huh. like that actually makes you great. That, mm. that, like going there is part of the, that's the sauce that people can connect with and you being bulletproof and, uh, perfect and all these other things that we try and be. And obviously there's, there's no chance at that, but we posture and those are all the things that sort of alienate and disenfranchise mm-hmm. and create a division between you and your fans or followers and people who might love your work. So what made you weird and quirky? Those are your biggest strengths as, a, as, a, as an artist. So you said there are artists for whom insecurities drive success. Those are the artists that are willing and able to capture that and go there. And then there are artists who have the insecurities and the folks that when they stand off from those things, they are unable to connect with their audience. Mm. And I don't mean to say that some artists have it mastered and other artists are still on that journey. I mean to say even within one career, there are things where we are able to go there and tap into that, that weirdness that we have as a kid or that unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other times in the same life or same arc or maybe even the same album for a musician where you weren't right. able to really go there. And you can tell it has, mm. it has this sort of veneer to it. So ultimately those things are so core to creativity. Um, there's a, a designer, a friend of mine named James Victoria, who I often quote, he says, in the particular lies the universal. So what is it about your particular situation right now that is a story that you could tell through a piece of art, through creating something that seems super, super focused and finite mm. and, and, and very you centric? 
but ultimately those are the things that there's millions of people who have experienced that in some way, yeah. shape or form and that allows the connection. So Wow. So would you say that if you've achieved your success as an artist, you can, everything you touch turns into millions or impacts people that in order to continue doing that and being successful as an artist and whatever success means to you that you need to still be insecure or can you be completely securing yourself? Nah, no one's, no one's, I mean, I know a lot of super, super famous people that are crazy insecure. Right. And I think there's the belief that you've achieved success and success is overnight. It's the classic tenure overnight success. I don't really don't know an artist who's ever made it in the classic sense, whatever it is, but I'll just mm-hmm. go the cliche made it right. where, uh, there wasn't 10 years hard work underneath that. Uh, I've, I've often used the artist, uh, Macklemore as a friend, uh, Seattle mm-hmm. guy. Yep. Um, he was living in his basement when he sort of got, sorry, living in his parents' basement early on in his career. He just got out of rehab, uh, and had been making music for 10 years before he was an overnight success. Right. He and Ryan Lewis got together, made an album, the album through singles and the album had, it was a 15X platinum album as their freshman album, the first wow. album ever. And the belief is that, oh wow, that just happened. And it, there's always all kinds of hard work that's happening underneath the surface that people don't look. It's sort of like a swan, right? It looks calm yeah. on top, but underneath you're kicking yeah, like yeah, hell. Yeah. Uh, and even that sort of level, uh, again, keep pulling on this Macklemore thread, his next album is very much about exploring the insecurities that he had at the Grammys, winning four Grammys your first year. Um, performing, you know, just, you know, artist of the year, album of the year, rap album of the year. Being friends with every big yeah, celebrity. Yeah. Like, and overnight. still just like want to crawl out of your skin when you're, you know, alone with yourself. So there's this dichotomy and I don't think anyone's ever mastered. It. And if they have, uh, I just, I don't, I, I don't know. I haven't experienced it myself. It's more like, right. It's like waves, like waves right. come and go and waves are different size and you catch some waves and you don't yeah, catch others. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested as a, in this sort of arc of my life around exploring our shadow selves, uh-huh. uh, which is that side of us that we don't really want to look at or pay attention to uh-huh. because it's like in there lies, I think, a lot of the answers to yep. what we're, what right. we're dealing with right now. Right. Now, did you ever, opportunities. Now, did you ever have a corporate job starting out? Were you ever? The job that I have right now sitting on this couch is the most, most corporate, <laughs> corporate right, thing right, I've, right. Ever, I've ever had. But you went right into finishing school and being a photographer yeah, pretty much yeah, right away. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I should say that uh, I felt, um, I, I think this may or may not, but may resonate with your, your listeners or watchers because we're, we're recording yes. this here. Um, I guess the reason I ask is I'm curious is, um, I was going to ask you, what did you do to transition from corporate life to being an artist? And so there's probably a lot of people listening who want to be more creative yeah. or want to do something on their own yeah. or like jump out into their art. I get it. What type of feedback or thought well, would you give them? Well, let me tell a little story. Yeah. So I was, I, I cited my parents earlier as big inspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, neither one of them completed college. They both started in some way, shape or form and, mm-hmm. and, you know, ended up just putting food on the table and paying rent and raising a little tyke like me instead. Um, but at some point, you know, I, I believe that there is pressure from our parents, sort of endemic in the relationship mm-hmm. between a, a, a offspring and a, right. and a parent that they want things for you. Uh, and then there's the cultural things like what does success mean culturally? Mm-hmm. Is it monetary? Is it you're on TV? Is it, uh, you can provide for yourself and your family? Like right. there's all kinds of different things, but certainly not, um, being a drug addict on the street, you know, whatever the opposite of that is, um, some sort of like when you're able to provide for yourself and the people you care for. And then there's what like greatness. You have a, the school of greatness. There's a lot of pressure to be great in yeah. the culture. And what it, what ultimately ended up happening for me was I got stuck in this loop of what I was supposed to be. So I was very creative as a kid. Go back to my childhood. Very creative. Uh, since I didn't have any brothers or sisters and uh, we lived in the suburbs, I was like, I was, you know, in the backyard, right. riding my bike, doing stuff pretty much solo. Had to come in. There was no kids table. There was only one table. So I had to sit with the adults. But very creative. And, and yet the kids in my school who were creative... It was like always talked about with that, with air quotes, like, oh, mm-hmm. he's so creative. I was like, uh, I don't want to be creative. It's <laughs> like, oh, there's, you know, Sally in the corner. She's so creative. Right, right, right. Um, so I basically went the opposite direction. I said, okay, well, what's the opposite of that? 
oh, it's the, the jock or the captain of the yeah. football team or the whatever. And so I ran to that with everything. Oh, great. I can, I can do that. That's is this earlier sort of defense mechanism. And yet I had been sort of repressing this part of myself. It's very creative, expressive part. And this continued on until, I mean, like well into high school. Yeah. The, the thing that saved me, I feel like was skate culture, skate, surf, mm. sort of, because in that world, it was the first time I'd seen creativity and athleticism mm. fused where there's a lot of self-expression. I mean, we spray painted, we right. like music, videos, music with yeah. the things, shot videos, express yeah. yourself through movement. Cause I, I, I uh, Broke the rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a little bit of a rebellious sort of um, mm. anarchist element to it, even if it was just play anarchy. But that that gave me insight that you know what? Wait a minute. This is a, the subculture that's come up that's made its own rules, and it was like like a light switch went off. Like, wait a minute. The rules were made by nobody smarter than us, right? And they're as random as which way the wind's blowing. And wow. So there's a paradigm for me to do the things that I want to do in life, mm-hmm. but it's certainly, there is a grain and you do have to go against it. Yeah. Even with that knowledge, I still, so I went to college on a soccer scholarship, right. not dissimilar to you. It's like, okay, I, I obviously am going to become a professional soccer player because who wouldn't want to do that? Right. Four and a half years into my, my college soccer career, I went to the team that, that, you know, the year I was, uh, recruited, we lost in the national championship, division mm. one, like top of the top. I was on the Olympic development team. Wow. Um, and yet four years in, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Not for you. And it's very hard when something like you, and you have the opportunity to go do it. And everyone in the world would think you'd be not, who wouldn't want to go play pro soccer? Are you kidding me? Right. And you know, I had pathways to Europe and that's where soccer was huge. It was still, you know, developing here in the U S and I had to say no to that. Mm. And I had to say no to it from inside first and then uh, breaking that news to my team, my coach, um, my parents, my family that was wow. close to me. It was a very big deal. Follow on to, uh, the next thing is, well, then what else is, oh, great. Well, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to, I'm going to do pre-med because that's literally like, how can you make it so that there's no haters? Right, right. Just become a doctor. So I pursued this path of, of pre-medicine, got good grades, took the MCATs, was doing the interviews. And wow. I, I, the last second, not December to soccer, I was like, this is totally not for me. Wow. Um, I had brought myself to the doorstep of that and was just ready to step, step over the threshold. Oh, no. And, and so I, I bailed on medical school. And then I said, wow, my parents, you know, my poor parents, right? <laughs> like pro athlete. Oh, doctor. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And then how about a different kind of doctor? I'll be a, I'll be a, uh, I'll get a PhD in philosophy because I got really interested in the ability to think critically. And, um, I think there's a little bit of a brooding side to, uh, philosophy into, uh, young artists. And so I was tapping into that. I'm like, oh, I'll be a philosopher. That's, I'll get a PhD in philosophy because it's a, it's a doctor. It's a different kind of doctor. Right. Well, I'm two years into that. No, gotta quit. And, what I wanted to quit to do was to go back to that creative roots, the stuff mm. that I saw and tapped into through skate culture and that I had lived my whole life internally, but never really expressed. Mm. And so I stopped everything and I said, I'm going to become a photographer. Wow. And that was a like mind exploder for most of the people in my, in my world, in my community, in my family. What year was this? Um, gosh, that would have been 1990. Six mm. young punk and realized um, a, ha- a handful of things happened to coincide. One, right at my college graduation, my grandfather, who was a hobbyist photographer, my my father was as well. Um, I was inspired by photography because I, as as an athlete, I was often in the newspaper and I was articulate enough that I would be able to speak to the press for my team. Uh-huh. And we were top, you know, top 10 team in the country. So there's always, a, we were on television every, every right. week and, and I got to interface the press that gave me a sense of like, wow, photography isn't like just pictures. It's about stories mm. and about moments. And there's this like, you can, oh, it's just a beautiful story in this thing. So I started getting obsessed with that. And I mentioned both my father and grandfather were, were hobbyists and my grandfather died about four or five days before my college graduation. Mm. Drop dead of a heart attack, completely out of the blue. And well, obviously that was traumatic as hell. However, the silver lining is that I was given all his cameras. Mm. And perfect timing. It was incredible timing. And I packed 
my bags with my then girlfriend, now wife, Kate, and mm. set off to Europe. And I walked the earth for six months. Wow. In a, on, a, on a journey trying to find my will to say that I didn't want to do all of these other things that life had, that I had prepared for in life to become a doctor, to become a professional athlete, to, to uh, and I, I came back and basically quit everything that everybody else wanted me to do. I flirted with graduate school and that PhD program. And, with philosophy. Yeah, with philosophy. And then said, F it. Like, mm. I've got one life. And I don't, I don't remember the actual moment. I think it was, uh, during those travels that I had convinced myself that, wow. like, you, if you don't write your own script, someone else will write it for you. And I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't, I didn't want someone else to write my mm. script. Interesting. Was there a moment before then where you realized what you were born to do? Do you remember like a day or moment in your life where you're like, you learned like, this is why I was born. I didn't, but I did have, I don't remember a particular moment, but I remember recurring visions and the recurring visions were, um, I was on stage. How old were were you? This is young. I mean, this is like single digits. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a very, when I was that age, I did not understand that. I understand, like, I, I was always, <laughs> my parents were sharing this just the other day. Uh, my dad turns 70 tomorrow, so we're talking about what we're going to do for his birthday. And we wow. were joking around, uh, we were, went on a family vacation to Ibiza, Spain, the club he joined yeah, us, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> a long time ago. But, uh, I was into breakdancing as a young, young punk. And, uh, I just, we were at this, you know, in front of 2,000 people at this performance, and they said, anyone can get up on stage and dance. Wow for just in the intermission zone up there and just started throwing down a windmill. Wow. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Do my you still do a windmill? Yeah. I still got it. No way. I do. I want to see it after. I do. I have, you, you have to get married or some <laughs> big life event and then I will throw or down. Or you have to get on the school of greatest podcast. There you go. Or yeah. Um, but I still got it. It's rusty, but I still sure. got it. Um, and so there, there was always a little bit of a performance thing, uh-huh. um, on stage. And, um, I thought of it more about leadership than I did about, mm. um, like acting or performing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't understand it then. I was just, it was just a thing that I right. was, and I, again, I was only able to connect the dots looking backwards, looking back, like, wow, that was always a piece. That was a thing. Mm. So that's cool. Present. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, let's talk about health and wellness. Why is uh, health and wellness so important for creatives? Obviously, it's I think it's important for everyone, but yeah. talk about it specifically for creatives. Well, there's a story that our culture has manifested about how creatives are they're these brooding souls, and if like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, if you live this tormented life, that your art is so real and so pure, and so and that's just. That's just fiction. That's a mm. terrible, it's a terrible thing that we've painted for our culture. And, and that's not to say that, that our artists, uh, as a bunch don't draw inspiration from many places. And sometimes our struggles, uh, are a key place. Like we talked wow. about earlier, the things that made us weird and quirky and the things that were hard for us. That's mm-hmm. a great place to draw inspiration and, right. um, universality and the, the message of the art. But the fact that that is required to create great art is absolutely a myth. The reality is, in fact, uh, longevity and stamina and presence and all these things that are certainly not requirements, but increased in their level of manifestation mm-hmm. when you're most alive, when you're most in tune with yourself, with the world around you. Um, and it, it turns out that health is required for all those things, for that stamina. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's, you know, I'm, I'm glad you asked the question. It's a, it's a mission for me in particular to try and shed light on that. I think it does come out of the sort of the taking care of oneself, mm-hmm. the sports background that we have in common. We've talked no, about right. a lot. You talked about it on your podcast a lot. We've shared those stories together. Yeah. Um, I just, I realized that sort of physical and emotional wellness, uh, has this sort of, it creates a propulsion, an energy of vitality, mm. um, that is, you know, that, that at least for me is, um, it allows me, it becomes a, uh, a vessel through which my art can move. And when I'm not living in those truths or with that sort of, um, amount of int- that, that integrity towards my health, right. I'm less creative. And I, I would love for our culture to, to 
not to, to sort of usurp that traditional vision of what it means to be a, the, I hate the term starving artist. I hate, yeah, yeah. you know, troubled artist, all those kinds of things. I don't think we, we can't escape that. That's a thing. And that does produce great art mm-hmm. because it's real emotions that are coming out. But, uh, I just hope, hopefully we can sort of, uh, usurp and stomp out that that's required. In fact, I know so many, uh, so many artists that come from, uh, I'll just use the example, the cliched example of middle America, suburban, um, uh, white came from relative privilege. Like, and, mm. and I think there's a belief that, well, they don't have anything to say. And uh, to me, being aware of your privilege is absolutely important, mm. but that you don't have a message which is human and that your own life can't be a blueprint, um, from which great art can spring. To me, that's, that's a, it's a really dangerous thing for us to sort of believe as a culture. Awareness of your privilege is absolutely, especially, you know, relative to other socioeconomic status, other, um, people in the world. That's, that's awareness. It's not a requirement. Right. Sure. Um, so let's stomp that out. I think Liz Gilbert, I don't know if you know Liz, she talks about having created her life's best work. I think, I think she says best. She may have well created her best work when, when she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, which is, X million books sold, you know, Oprah, she's on all that stuff. And her, her, I think she did a great Ted talk following that. And certainly her next book around, wow, now what do I do? Exactly. Cause it's quite like, best work is behind you. It's quite likely I've created the best work in my life. And I have now what? 40 more years potentially to live or whatever. Yeah. I've I've got a lot of vitality. I still have stories to tell. Um, and so I I identify with that and I'm, I hope that, um, like the way we talk about it at Creative Live is, is one of our sort of core visions is that creativity is the new literacy and creative qualities are not an all time high with, you know, we were just talking about there's a robot uh, camera we have here in the yeah. room shooting, but it's not as good as what Tiff's capturing on the right, right side right, of that right. lens right there or that lens over there. And, um, that, I don't know, just that, that creativity is so, so valuable. We talk about innovation. We're hungry for all these mm-hmm. things, not just new products, but new way of unlocking human potential. And that those mechanisms are going to come from humans. And what if we could put as much energy into creativity and supporting that mm. as a concept that we did put into literacy back you know, in the post-Gutenberg wow. press, 1400s. I mean, before that, it was called the dark ages for a reason. Like literacy provided, they were like life expectancy. All these things increased dramatically. The, the infant mortality rate went down. Mm. All these things changed when you could communicate ideas. What if we put that same amount of energy culturally into creativity? Mm. So I, I would prefer we shift towards that mindset yeah. culturally than, than that. A, there's not a creator of all of us and, and artists are this weird disenfranchised bunch. And, and I think, um, it's bearing true right now is all sure. these things are at all time high. Sure. When people f- say that they're in a, you know, a creativity block or they feel stuck as an artist mm-hmm. or they, they're not able to put out the next best thing or whatever, what would you say is a good, uh, place to come from to f- facilitate creative, uh, creative mm-hmm. ideas? Like Oof. if I feel like I'm a writer's block or artist block, whatever it may be, I just can't mm-hmm. take the right photos anymore. <laughs> What's I have no idea what you're talking about. It never <laughs> happened to me. Hmm. What's something that someone could do, uh, or in their business, you know, sure. entrepreneurs, to, yeah. uh, is there a process? Can we get into this? Do? Like, let's get into let's this. Do it, man. All right. I want another process. So, um, I think having many solutions is, is mm. the answer and not that there's not one go-to thing that solves yeah, all yeah. things. So having a couple tools in your toolkit, um, and we'll just maybe, I don't know how many there's going to be. We're going to list them out though. There's sure. probably, probably a few. One of them is to have many things. So if you're a writer, you have a novel that you're working on, you have a short story, you have an essay, and then you have some poetry, and then you have a journal. So you're not putting it all in one basket is what you're saying. Yeah. And the reality is that on deadlines and things, you need to focus on the thing Mm -hmm. that you're trying to get it across. But even in those moments, having other activities within that same sphere of Mm -hmm. writing, say if you're a writer, we have many friends who are writers, and I think this this works for, for many of those folks. Um I just read some study about the, the ideal number of creative projects to have. If you're a uh, designer, I think it was the lens through which it was uh, the study was given. That five is the magic number. You need to have right. five things. Um, I wish I was working on it one time. Yeah, and of course there are different levels of development, sure, sure, sure. different levels of intensity. Writing in your journal is a lot less than um, writing a book. Yeah, than writing right. a book or a, or a you know a piece for the New Yorker or something. But 
having multiple things. So if you're blocked on one thing, shift gears, go to something else. Interesting. That's one, one tool. I like that. Another tool that I frequently embrace is get away from it. Mm. Like there's this desire, especially when you're a stubborn jackass like I am, to <laughs> just like, nope, I don't care if it's two in the morning. I said yeah. I was going to finish this thing. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to push, 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 push. And then you wake up or you decide, all right, I'm, I'm done. I'm like gibberish is coming out or my photographs. I'm editing them and it's not turning out the way I want. You walk away and you come back with fresh eyes. It's just unlock. So like yeah. literally walking away from the thing that has you blocked. Um, I would prescribe something in particular when you walked away. Sometimes it's just going to bed, like just yeah. giving up. But in particular, the way I talk about it is... We're going to do something playful or fun, Yeah, right? is yeah. get into adventures. Yeah, it's Like cool. do something that's very, very, very different. Um, often the act of play, um, it does, it has many sort of solutions. I don't know if you're familiar with Charlie Hone. Do you know Charlie? Of used course, to work yeah, for, yeah. He's yeah, got a book called Tim. Play or... Play it away. Play it away, yes. Yeah, and it's very much around sort of relieving anxiety and stress, uh, and that it's just a huge missed opportunity and a manifestation for, yeah. for sort of human potential to yeah, play. We, yeah. we do it really well. It reduces stress and it gets in touch with that most simple sort of crocodile human side mm. of us of just joy yes so what what gives you joy go mm. and do that thing and sometimes that's you know i think a lot of people when i say get into adventures they they translate that into like all right i gotta go backpack through europe for six months well right certainly that's a thing go play some frisbee yeah for an hour. like literally go play some frisbee <laughs> for an hour exercise do something um get into an adventure even if it's to go people watch uh so to me that's another thing is is mm. get away and get into adventures um god i, I could probably keep on trucking but uh, there's just a handful of these and they're very simple. Like yeah. that's the thing that, that, um, yeah. the, this, the, the twisted irony is actually in the awareness that you're in that state. It's less about what you're going to go do to get out of it. Gotcha. So take up something else more creative. Do, you know, you're going to do all these different things, but the key thing is actually recognizing that you're blocked. Hmm. And when you're really aware you're blocked, you're like, that means you're super blocked. Cause it's right. not like, um, oh, the word, yeah. kind of, you're just like blank page. Should you push through it? Like you said, uh, like you said, should you ever, is there ever a point where you're like, no, I'm just going to push through this even if I can't? Well, when you're on deadline and when you're a professional, let's pretend you're, um, Phil Mickelson, the professional golfer. Random example. Sorry, I'm using <laughs> golf. Um, nobody on the PGA or his sponsors, uh, really care how he's feeling today. Right, right. He's just got to do it. As a pro, you are paid to step up and hit the ball out mm, of the park yeah. or hit the ball down the middle of fairway or whatever your analogy is. And as a professional creative, very much the same is true. Like the people who are showing up on set, uh, to shoot a Nike commercial, for example, if you're not feeling it, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm not feeling it today because there's hundreds right, of thousands right. of dollars being spent all around you. You're actually paid to deliver. And so I do take a certain amount of pride in being mm-hmm. able to produce creativity yeah. on demand. Um, but that in and of itself is exhausting. It's not always there. So sometimes you have to, you do have to push through. But I think most of the folks in your community here mm-hmm. for whom like being a professional creative at that level is not really the, I think the, the point that you're trying to make. Right. So pushing through, not, uh, I think it's contextual. If, you're a professional and you're on deadline. That's what you're paid to do. If you're not, then I would advocate one of those other things. Sure. Step away, get some other perspective involved. You know, we talk a lot about community too. That's yeah. one of the things that whether you have a mentor, a friend, a partner in business, a team that you work with, the idea of bouncing ideas off one right. another and getting away and sort of getting, um, unstuck is a very, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. The, the exchange of ideas for me, at least in the people that I, I run around with, it's a powerful, right. uh, it's a powerful mechanism. When you are, I mean, like behind the camera and everything you shoot is like award winning. Like every photo is just like, wow, this is a masterpiece, which is probably all the time for you. But when that happens, when you're just in the zone, mm-hmm. you're just like, man, yeah. this shoot, every, nothing, yeah. anything I click, it turns into magic. Like they could use any one of these photos and it would be on yeah. a billboard. Yeah. What is, uh, how do you get in that zone? Like what is that? How do you facilitate that for yourself? Or is it just, it just happens when it happens for you? Um, I think it's pretty intentional mm. and, you know, go back to the life of, this is an area where I think I want to split hairs for your audience because let's talk about like, you're asking the question to me on your podcast. So mm-hmm. for me, who is a professional creative and has spent their whole life creating 
in many times on demand mm-hmm. uh, and very pressured situations where hundreds of thousands of dollars are being spent on that particular day. And if you, if you don't get the job, you don't, not only do you not succeed at this job, but no one calls you. Your reputation is gone. Yeah. Cause the, 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 the people, the level of people who do that work is a very small and yep. that circle is a, is a, it's a small right. circle. So you, you have made a career out of delivering. Uh, f- I believe that there's, um, you're certainly hotter and colder, but Roger Federer is hotter and colder, but Roger Federer is still Roger Federer. He's still the top. Yeah. yeah. And it's very much about going to what you know. Mm. Um, and that has to do with sort of routines and beliefs mm. and self-talk, I think is very important. Mm. Um, what do you say yourself to yourself before every shoot uh, or project or? I visualize success for everything. Mm. I can, I see there, I think Ira Glass talks about this thing called the creative gap, which when you're first starting out at something, you, what you see in your mind, like, Oh man, I want to make this particular photograph or even build a business. I want to build a business that looks like this. And then you set out, you, you invest a year of your life to create this business or a, a week of your life or a day of your life to create this particular picture. And the gap between what you see in your mind and what you're actually able to create right. is the creative gap. Mm. And through repetition, practice, skill, self-talk, visualization, you, the goal is to move those things closer and closer that what you saw in your mind and what you're actually able to produce. And as a professional who, um, is, is paid to hit the ball down the middle, is paid mm-hmm. to create great things for, whether for inspirational companies or for, for myself. Right. When that gets to zero, and that the creative gap is zero, I, I believe that I can make the things that I see in my mind now. I have the tools, I have the resources. Experience. Or yeah, the experiences. And, and being like that is the zone mm-hmm. that you get in over mm-hmm. the course of a decade. Yeah. Um, certainly, certainly years, but you know, I, I think it was probably a decade before that was zero for me. And then there's a new game that starts all over again, which what is the thing that you will be building? Yeah. Cause it used to be, I want to be able to make a picture. And for me now it's like, what is the most compound thing? I want to make a picture and I want to tell a story about making the picture. And then I'm on both sides of the camera. I'm shooting mm-hmm. and I'm like in the campaign producing. Then, yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I try and sort of build up a level of complexity and how do you, manifest that or how do you build companies like like creative right, life right. is a it's a project for me so what, what does visualization look like for you then on a daily basis is it a daily basis thing is Absol- it a, oh man what is it yeah yeah absolutely visualizations for me started as an athlete um i as i mentioned went to college on a soccer scholarship and colleges are basically laboratories mm-hmm. um you know we had trainers that were um you know, taking care of us and they're in school, but they're taping our ankles every day. And, you know, the training staff that's learning to be trainers is actually taking care of the student athletes. And, right. um, and one of the vehicles that we were exposed to was sports psychology, the act of sort of visualizing yep. your, the outcomes that you wanted. Um, I dabbled in it in high school and I had one experience that was a life changer for me. Really? And that was, I had, I, I knew that, um, going to college and getting a soccer scholarship was uh, important to me. I also had this, the same option for football um, and visualizing the outcome that I wanted at the end of the season. Mm. Um, and when I went to school, soccer, uh, football was in the fall and soccer was in the spring. So you could actually do both, which was very right. different than most other places sure. in the country. Sure, it's the same time. It's uh, usually the same time. But uh, for me, I, I started dabbling with this visualization in football and I, I saw myself, you know, scoring touchdowns and intercepting, you know, passes and things that, that were prudent to the positions that I was playing. And I sort of was a little bit lazy about the practice, but I was, I realized that I was manifesting these things. I mm. actually, I, I, I realized that I didn't score the number of touchdowns that I wanted, but I actually intercepted the same number of passes that I saw at the beginning right. of the season at the end. Wow. Well, that's, Wow, that's interesting and powerful. So you declared a number that you wanted to yeah. accept, yeah. and then you yeah, and you know, and all state or whatever. The, the the I need to hit these numbers to be able to right. have colleges interested in offering me a football scholarship, and that worked. Uh, but I saw it. I saw it uh, very sort of nebulously, and I was and it was so powerful. And then I was like, wow, what if I really apply this? Huh. So I spent the time between my football season and soccer season. Like reading about visualization, going to workshops, anything I could find and get my mm. hands on the literature it was pretty lean at that time. This is yeah. literally pre-internet. Right. Uh, 
And it was so powerful. I scored exactly, you know, the number of goals. I actually sadly don't even remember what it was. I remember just being, holy crap. Wow. I scored exactly the amount of goals I thought. Mm-hmm. And I ended up uh, choosing to go uh, to college on a soccer scholarship that's in football. That was very powerful. And then when we got the opportunity to apply that at the collegiate level with trained professional psychologists, yeah, I was like, this visual, there's something here. This sort mm-hmm. of putting it out there in the universe, creating a, a narrative around what you have achieved. And you talk about this mm-hmm. a lot in your book, in, in School of Greatness, and certainly on the podcast. Um, building things with the end in mind, setting goals is the way you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so visualizing now um, the outcome of a shoot or the outcome of building a company or success milestones with Creative Live, very much intentionally sit down and do that every day. In fact, yeah, I have really I have 10 things that I do every day and I track them with an app called Habit List. Huh. Uh, and one of those is um, I put these, these, it's really two things that I smush together gratitude and visualization. And I do it immediately following meditation in the morning. I meditate every 20 minutes every morning and every evening. And just immediately following uh, transcendental meditation, I spend somewhere around five minutes um, with a gratitude practice Mm. and then visualizing the things that I want to happen in the world. Mm. And some of those are around the outcomes of shoots and making things. Uh, Some of them are around relationships personal development. Uh, it's, it's just a powerful tool. I love that, man. Yeah. What's the app called? It's called Habit List. Habit List. Hey, you for have those 10 things you, on there? Yeah, I, I just have 10 things on there, yeah. and I track this behavior. I track 10 behaviors. Um, and I do that instead of actually saying, like, I want to be able to, you know, bench press 250 pounds or run a 4, 440 or whatever mm-hmm. the thing is. It's if I do these things every day at the level that I've written here, it's there's almost no chance of not you achieving that results. goal. Yeah, yeah. And the way that like for, that for me, that's a different thing than just being outcome focused because then it's sort of like you can ring the bell, but then you go back to being, mm. uh, you know, your slovenly self or your, right, right. um, just, uh, I, I seek to create habits that's because great, habits stick. I feel like mm, that's great. Yeah. Uh, final few questions. What's something that's non-negotiable for you that you do every day? Besides those 10 things, I guess. Mm. Besides those 10 things? Wow. Something that's I, I gotta get, dip, into, <laughs> dip into number 11, 12, and 13. What's a non-negotiable for you, though, that's like really important? You must do it every single day. It could be, you know, one thing, a few things, but it's like every day I have to do this no matter what. I think meditation. Mm. Why? Meditation for me has become, it's the single biggest game changer for me in my adult life. Um, gave me the ability to sort of, uh, tap into the oneness. I'm looking at you and you're Lewis Howes and I'm sitting over here. But I, the way I think about it when I'm in that still place is that we're, you know, we're absolutely 100% connected. And whether it's, an, it's energy or there's, there's all kinds of different ways that we're, we are the same. Right. Um, there is no other. Hmm. Uh, and, that sort of the unifying feeling that that creates is a very powerful way to start the day. It makes things like intention and, um, the best analogy for me is, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard interviews with Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan talks very clearly about, um, playing the game of basketball and it appears in slow motion mm-hmm. for him. Yep. And so he's able to very easily see what the right choices to make are, where to pass the ball, whether to shoot or not shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and meditation has that experience for me. There's this sort of a calming, a unifying, a simplifying, mm-hmm. such that when challenging things come to you, you're presented with a very clear path, a clear decision. Yeah, that's great. Um, for, for what you should do. And sure. I feel like this, uh, you know, I've shared this with, you know, other friends that we have in common. And there's a real paradigm there of it being a powerful thing. So that's something that I can't, I can't not do. I think maybe there's five days in the last two years that I haven't meditated. Wow. Two or three years. It's very, I'm freakish about it. Mm. Sometimes it's not always 20 minutes. Sometimes it's not always in the morning and the evening. That's my, it's my target. Sure. But, uh, and I got 20 minutes this morning. That's good. Uh, I only got 10 minutes yesterday morning and I was okay with it because Something's better than nothing. Sure, sure. So med- meditation would be that without, love that without a doubt. I love that. Okay. But I don't want to be preachy and weird. Like, like uh, you don't got to meditate. It's no, fine. I just it's think what it's, works it's for singularly, you right the, yeah, it's just for me, 
singularly the most powerful yeah. device that I have experienced in my adult life. And what made you want to try it out or? I think it had very much to do with the, the spiritual side of what I experienced in visualization. To me, mm-hmm. those things were very tied together. But you just started the practice three years, two, three years ago? Uh, right? I think I'm about between four and five years. Okay, actually. cool. Gotcha. Um, four years in, five years in. Um, but again, as I mentioned earlier, I'd flirted with the, the visualization concept sure, sure. through sports. Uh, meditation is very similar to just visualization. Yeah. It's, in a way it is. For sure. And there's many so. different types of visuals yes. or meditation. I've tried several and one in particular, several didn't stick and one mm-hmm. did stick. And that was the transcendental meditation. Um, that's great. And, uh, what was the question? You had another question. It was a follow on to that. Mm-hmm. What made you want to start it? Oh yeah. Meditation. Uh, I think it, it very much was the, the visualization stuff. Or? Yeah. It, I experienced power, um, like fundamental human sort of genesis power, like, wow, the power to create the life that you want to live. Uh-huh. And we talk about creativity and like what you're going to make and you take pictures, you're going to build businesses, but also there's the power to create your own life. Yeah. Um, I feel also I'm personally not religious in the classic mm-hmm. sense, but I'm very spiritual and trying to reconcile those two things when I'm walk through, move through the world and, and I don't identify with any one particular religion, mm-hmm. but I see the synthesis of all of the religions and how there's, there are basically many different angles on the same, same topic, uh, and craving something to tap into. And that, you know, it's the underlying sort Mm. of the, the energy of the world. And this gave me access to that in a way that felt really natural and, and, uh, in touch with myself. Cool. What are you most grateful for in your life recently? My wife, Kate, she's, uh, she has been my sort of spiritual guide. Mm. She's helped me sort of understand a lot of these things. Uh, I, I think I'm a classic extroverted type A male. Um, and for a long time, I believe that everything I had came from that. Yeah. And so why would I want to give that up? Mm-hmm. And actually she was the one who, uh, really moved me into meditating to, to trying this meditation with her uh, around transcendental meditation. Mm. And that unlocked so many things to me that made me in part realize that the thing that I thought was my edge that had got me all of this success or any success that I'd had in my life, certainly caught me a lot, caused me a lot of pain, but success came from being this sort of aggro, intense dude. Mm-hmm. And what I've come to find out since then is that actually that that level of intensity and, and aggro was an anchor. Mm. And in this, in sort of finding this sort of balance and this peace, that everything in my world accelerated mm. and that was a aha moment and or aha five years worth of moments <laughs> and I, I attribute uh there's personal work involved for sure but sure, I, sure. I attribute the desire to embrace that personal mm. journey to my wife kate who's she's awesome i hope i, hope, I know she'll listen to this because she's she's, <laughs> she's always tapping into these things but kate, sure. kate kate's great that's cool uh, what's something small that you've done or something that people don't know about you you've done that you're really proud of? Uh, when I move through the world on a daily basis, a very small, I help strangers. I seek helping strangers. Mm-hmm. And these are things that nobody knows about acts mm-hmm. of acts of kindness. Um, and it, it almost feels weird talking about it right this second. Mm-hmm. I just realized I had a little bit of a pang of anxiety right there because <laughs> is it somehow tarnishing mm. those things? But I, I think I come across, you know, I've always got my headphones on. I'm always on my phone and, and there's sort of an intensity and I preach the, the hustle. Um, but, oh, do I, 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 I'm anxious talking about it, but <laughs> I, Why do you I help, help strangers? strangers, I help strangers put their bags in the overhead compartments Sure. on the airplane. I, I fly like three or four times a week. Uh, I help, um, why do you do these things when I see someone who's in trouble? I go to help. Um, I've caught burglars breaking into other people's houses. Wow. I've, um, I, I don't know. I feel a sense of connection. And I think there's probably something in there that when I'm doing it to strangers, it's a little bit of an avoidance of intimacy mm. with like the, the people that are really real and close to me. Right. Um, and this is the way to sort of check a, check a still, still doing good things for the world box, you know, in, in total transparency and openness. Maybe, maybe that's going on, but oh. I delight in small, small gifts to mm. strangers. That's cool. 
I like that. Okay, this is the question I told you about before. Most people, <laughs> oh, no. most people don't tell this question to, but uh, if everything is erased from time that you've ever created, any photo, book, Creative Live is gone. This is 50 years from now. It's all erased. And you have a piece of paper to write down three truths that you know to be true about what you've learned in life that you would pass on to people. What would you write down? <sighs> I had an awesome answer earlier and I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I like it just gone, but I think, I think I'm going to be able to get there. So the first is love. I think that love is a solution to, um, every human problem. Mm. Integrity is, uh, to me, a foundation mm. of how to move through the world. And these are all things we all come in and out of for sure. But I think this is a, uh, these are truths. Um, love, integrity, and creativity. I think the, the human spirit is very, very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. And there is a creator in all of us. And using that power for good would be something that I would want anyone who's left on this planet in a post Chase Jarvis world to take to heart, to create, mm. to create great things. I think my, the answer that I had before might've been a little bit better, but that's, that's what's <laughs> upon, great. That's that's perfect. What's a, perfect. upon me right now. Love, um, integrity, integrity and, and creativity. I love it. Okay. Uh, before I ask the final question, uh, that wasn't the final question. No, no, no. Oh man. I was like, before I ask the oh, final question, past. <laughs> where, um, where can we connect with you online? Not dissimilar to Mr. Lewis Howes. I'm basically sort of Chase Jarvis everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm super passionate about Snapchat right now. I'm having a lot of fun. It's a relatively new platform for me. Uh, I have a longstanding YouTube channel. It's got more than 250 videos there. Uh, wow. ten, tens of millions of views. Um, Creative Live is, I think, the single most powerful thing that I've ever been a part of creating. Yeah. I get to go to work with 100 and 20 super talented, mm -hmm. hardworking people who are dedicated to, to creativity and helping other people live their hopes, dreams, and fears and, uh, manifest great things for themselves. Yeah. Um, the creative live is, you know, I'd, I'd put that before my personal mm -hmm. stuff, but I, I feel like I just had the connection with that. We have the sure, Chase Jarvis sure, sure. moniker for everything. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so you can find me online under the Chase Jarvis <clears throat> handle, mm. but, uh, please, if you do one thing, Go to, go to Creative Live. Yeah. There's a, it's a great site. And there's 1500 classes from the world's top creatives and entrepreneurs. Um, people like yourself, Tim Ferriss, a lot of people who've been in this podcast have classes yeah. At, yeah. at, at Creative Live. Um, and it's a place to mm. get great inspiration and help unlock your, your creative potential. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Before I ask the final question. Oh my God. There's this, they keep coming. <laughs> you know this, don't you? You edit the, uh, <laughs> Christine is sitting across the room. She edits Lewis's podcast. Yes. And she knows all this is coming. I'm just flying right into your trap. <laughs> right in the trap. Uh, there's one more question before sure. I ask it. I want to acknowledge you, Chase, for your friendship. I want to acknowledge you for the incredible friend that you are to me, but to so many people. And, uh, you, open up possibilities in everyone you interact with. You open up creativity. You open up love in so many people. And I want to acknowledge you for your consistent dedication to bringing education to the world in the format you're doing it. It's really expanding and, and allowing so many people that weren't able to create the lives they want to now have it because of what you're doing. So I acknowledge you for all those gifts. I am grateful for your yeah. acknowledgement. Thank yeah. you, buddy. I don't take it lightly. Yes. And the final question is... <laughs> final, final. Is what's your definition of greatness? Lewis Howes. Uh, my definition of greatness is living the life that you desire. I feel very wary of putting particular milestones out there. Mm. To me, there's so much sub subjectivity in the world uh, that the life that you envision for yourself and the people near you. Um, if you are on that path, then, then that is great. I, I hope it's got love in there. I'll just throw it in there. It's sure, like sure, sure. love in your heart and living, living the life that you imagine for yourself. Cheers, Jarvis. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, buddy. Bye people. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with my good buddy, Chase. If you did, make sure to share this out and give him some love over on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all at Chase Jarvis over on Twitter and Facebook. 
Tag him. Let him know what you think. And again, you can watch the full video interview over on YouTube or go to lewishouse.com slash 321. And if you're not a subscriber of our YouTube channel yet, we just hit over 50,000 subscribers. So thanks to those who are. And again, if you're not, make sure to subscribe because we do weekly videos, either interviews or inspiring videos every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So make sure to subscribe there and get inspired every single week. That's it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for your generosity, your love, your warmth, and your sharing of this information. It means the world to me. We're getting over 1.2 million downloads a month, and it's because of people like you. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Share it out with your friends if you found this valuable, and let me know what you think over on social media. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Oh, 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 o